1: Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new
0: Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey everyone, welcome to the 235th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Alex J. Sherman, Chad Cunningham, and Christian Linden. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt hello Today we've got Chris Monlux from Videomaker on with us
1: to talk about. Cameras. We're getting nerdy. We're getting nitty-gritty. We're talking about bits
0: and ratios and sensor sizes and all that good stuff. Yeah. In honor of the great debate I watched on TV last night, we are debating cameras. Yeah, yeah. Oren and I just talk over each other and give you a genuine sense of dread yeah. uh, the entire
1: episode. I wish we no, could just turn to,
0: just Matt's mic off. Uh, you know but we just don't have don't have that power if, in our uh, on, debate if rules had, if only we had the technology to do so not to get too political yeah we do talk to
1: chris chris is really great he's so knowledgeable he knows more about cameras than i do that's for sure especially when it comes to the ins and outs of every single model for the consumer and prosumer and professional ranges he's
0: just like is a, a has alphabet soup of uh, model numbers well, let me ask, Yeah, that is an accurate description. Let me ask you, Matt, did our conversation sway you in any way of a camera that you think you might want to own? Yes, but I think I kind of walked in knowing my own answer and realized later,
1: they just reconfirmed my own expectations and biases. You know, the thing that I really learned in talking to Chris was that I think we talk about Los Angeles so much, but there are a lot of things that we take for granted that I suspect that our listeners will relate to with Chris, actually. That if you don't live in a market where there's tons of cinema-grade gear laying around that you can rent for cheap because there's so many of them, this is a more valuable conversation than if you're living in a big market where your buddy has an Alexa you can just borrow.
0: So funny. I mean, I think you just get an Alexa Mini when you can, right? And get a better Alexa when you have more money. Well, the, the move that I always used to pull is I would just get... And the Alexa
1: Classic, we talk about it in oh, the right. interview, but the Classic, which was the camera that we used for years, they're so cheap now. So that that like renting an Alexa Classic is, is pretty darn easy at this point. But yeah, the minis are great too. They're, they're all great. But if you're not um, in the situation where you're just tripping over $60,000 cameras and the equivalent in lenses, then this is a conversation that I think is going to be really valuable for you. You were thinking about buying a camera. Have you? It, yeah, I mean, uh, throw I it back was to you.
0: really excited about the Sony a7S III and I was kind of dabbling, like thinking about the Canon R6, which is... It's uh, right after 5. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this Panasonic. I don't know, but to me, it's like we just talked with this filmmaker, Amanda Rowe, who spent $50 to shoot this short that launched her career. And I think to myself... I wish I could just have that camera that I can shoot something with in an afternoon and have the look, not be the limiting factor, you know, have not someone say like, Oh, well it's good for being shot in an iPhone. We have another listener, Nathan Presley, that has a Sony a seven S two. And the stuff he's shot, he shot these Nike commercial. I mean, looks just so good. Yeah. It looks and so I good. just, yeah. that, that's kind of what I dream of. But then my big fear in life is that I'll buy this, you know, five to ten thousand dollars worth of camera gear put in my closet and never use it so i think it's pretty likely that that would be the case for both of us (laughs) that's the that's the that's 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 the wrong attitude
1: (laughs) well look here's the thing if you want to go shoot a spec i can think of two three four cinema grade cameras that your buddy would lend you like that that's the difference but you can't
0: just borrow an alexa mini with ultra primes and go shoot something by yourself you know, these cameras are made for single operators. They have a flip out screen so you can get interesting angles. They have a stabilization so you can hand hold things. So I don't know. I guess the way that I am approaching shorts lately, which is what I did with a gray one and what I did with,
1: you know, stuff that I'm, that would have been shot by now, I had stuff on the books that got canceled because of COVID. But like, yes, if you are, if you were going to one man bandit, one person bandit, then yeah, those cameras are right. But like, If you are going to call in a couple favors, find that DP or that AC that you really clicked with and you really liked. They're looking to like level up a little bit. They've got a buddy who will lend them this and that and whatever. And you put together a 10 person team, a a five person team, you know, even if you're rolling sound or whatever, then you can handle using a, a camera that's. And, 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 that, and that frankly, once you get to that point, then it's nice to have XLR inputs. It's nice to have battery life that lasts longer than an hour. All of those things and all the infrastructure that we have at our disposal becomes a lot easier. And that's definitely what I did on a great one. A great one cost me like maybe, maybe a thousand. I don't
0: even know how much money it cost because it was all favors basically. Right, I guess my dream life is the David F. Sandberg life. You know, you make these shorts with just you and your wife and your house. And then you go shoot a, Listen, a if studio it, movie.
1: If, if the camera is what's keeping you from doing that, Oren, then yes. But you can also get the Pocket 4K, which is what he shoots all of those pieces on, for $100 a day on ShareGrid. You could probably get it delivered to your house. Yeah. It's as easy as Postmates. You know what I mean? There yeah. are listener, I know for a fact there are listeners at home who own that camera. Yeah, we'll, we'll live in this town and would we'll rent it to you for cheap.
0: Let me tell you one example of when it could have come in handy and then we'll talk to Chris uh, about specifics. But at the very beginning of COVID, the production company that represents me commercially said to me, hey, Oren, you should shoot a COVID spec spot. And then they even found these boards that they were for this big company and they took place in a school and they're like we think you could fake all of these locations and just use your daughter as the character and so i did they're like Let, can you shoot it today and edit it and send it to us by tomorrow so i was like and it was like 11 a.m i was like yep i'm, I'm shooting yeah. it and you sent me that spot i i saw the you shot it on a dslr yeah and on a 5d mark great. ii which is 10 yeah. years old it felt good i think but if i would have had like i had a lot of issues with color i had a lot of issues with lighting and i had a lot of issues with framing because i couldn't monitor it you know and uh out i shot some things in the sun it was hard for me to see the screen and so it was just one of those things where i was like this is fine but like the you know the focus or that in, all this controls. You, do you
1: want me to tell you to buy a camera
0: i would prefer you say Let's go in 50-50 on a camera. <laughs> Orin, how about you buy the camera? I'll borrow it every once in a while.
1: That's what you said about my drone. You've never <laughs> yes. borrowed it. I hired you on a job though once. Yes. Which is even better.
0: I will borrow that drone from you for sure. Thank you. That's all I have. Yeah, ask. dude. Yeah. <laughs> buy a camera, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm going through an existential crisis and COVID is accelerating it about <laughs> how much of a self-starter I need to be versus you know, that mentality of like, well, just hire a crew. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is is that you have a handful
1: of collaborators that you have hired so many times they would love. If you were like, hey, I want to spec this thing out, we know the laundry list of people who would be really happy to help you. So if if that's the thing that's stopping you, and th- this is not just for Ornn, but for listeners at home. If not having a camera is the thing that's stopping you, buy a camera. That's probably not the case, though. It's probably that you know, you need to write the thing and then ask your friends over. And that's a slightly different thing, but don't let having a camera or not stop you from making the thing, which is
0: a thing that we talk about a lot with Chris, for sure. With that said, we are going to talk to Chris in one moment, but we'd love to remind our listeners that we have a phone number. I know we usually say this at the end, but 1262-SHOOT1. If you leave us a voicemail, we'd be so happy. Just plug your movie and we'll play it on the podcast. Plug your movie or also I would love for them to weigh in
1: on whether or not Warren and I should have a camera let us know let us know and you know if you have one that you like give us the recommendation a7s3s aren't out there yet but uh but
0: I bet there's a heck of a lot of people with an a7s2
1: I'm we'll sure it.
0: You can also email us at just shoot it pod at gmail.com. We just love love to hear from you. We, we do get a lot of stuff from listeners, especially at the beginning of COVID. I feel like we were getting a ton of emails, but Hey, they have kind of dropped down a little bit. I guess people are getting back into their lives or something. Yeah. They're living their lives again. Yeah. Also, if you want to support us in ways other than just talking to us, you can go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's a place where you can throw a few dollars in per month to just Help us pay our editors and our server space and all the stuff we do. We appreciate it. And I know it's been like a couple years that we've been saying this, but we actually do have some interesting perks that Matt and I have been talking about. And I do want to yeah. push through on. on some um, stuff is bubbling up. Yeah. yeah basically on uh, resources that Matt and I... Are, have made and are making that we can share with our Patreon patrons. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot It Pod. And if you give us 10 bucks, you get a Just Shoot It hat, which uh, is very cool. And I just, I'm all caught up on mailing them out, so... Yeah, you're so caught up, actually, that did you see on Twitter
1: just the other day, listener Matt Mendoza sent us a selfie of him in the Just Shoot a Pod hat, and
0: it really made my day. So thanks, Matt. Oh, you know what? I feel like I just mailed that hat out, which means the USPS is back in business, folks. (laughs) Awesome. Count
1: on it. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much. Uh, Let's jump into our conversation with Chris Monlux from
0: Video Maker. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with
1: your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes episodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens.
0: Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF
1: for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF
0: to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, or by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check him out. Let us know how it goes. Something Matt and I talk about all the time is how much we don't talk about gear. We never talk about cameras, lights, anything. Sometimes we'll mention something a little bit here or there, but so many other podcasts, news outlets, film press companies, have covered it so well and so much better than I we mean, can. I mean, especially Video Maker, right? Like that's yeah. kind of your domain, right? Totally. Uh,
2: as per all the cameras in the background here. So <laughs> sure. I, I, well, I guess your audience can't see it, but if they go over to our vidcast, they can uh, they can see this uh, and see all of our beautiful COVID haircuts that we have.
0: Part of like our ethos on the podcast is about not waiting for people to hire you, not being anointed a filmmaker, but actually just shooting things on, on your own. But we never really talk about the physical things that you would need to shoot things. You know, on occasion, we'll say, just shoot it with your phone. Yeah. To be fair, like listeners will write in and they'll say, hey, I'm thinking about getting started.
1: What should I buy? And I think Oren and I are privileged enough that it's been a minute since we've bought any serious amount of gear, right? And most of the time we'll rent rent our cameras, right? So we have a, a wide understanding of what camera is right for what job, but we haven't had to plunk down the you know five figures in most cases that i think a lot of other filmmakers are constantly contemplating totally
2: you know and it's we get the question a lot of like what and it it is the answer is always phone like what should i use to get started well we you know are talking a lot to the uh the entry level uh in the like you know I, i have a story how do i tell it and uh you know it's like we'll just get to telling it because the story should Drive, you know, if uh, if you have a good story, it it comes over all that gear. But uh, when it comes to actually looking at the gear, we tend to review stuff, you know, as singular things. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I can tell you the good and bad of that camera. And you know, a lot of the stuff is is um, good for certain things or good for other things. But half the time, it's just more of like what inspires you. What's the what's the gear that gets you to to get out and create? And so I think whatever that is for someone, especially at the beginning of their career, that's that's what makes sense. But then when you're moving up in the world, um, you know we we go up to you know talking about the entry level ten thousand you know dollar cameras or so, um, uh, and that tends to be kind of outside of our world. We're talking to small teams most of the time. You know, if you're, you're hiring people you don't know for a shoot tomorrow, it's unlikely we're covering that. But, you know, the small teams or small crews uh, typically are, you know, really live and die by what gear they have or what they are able to do because of the capabilities that they're selling it on. Um, you know, if, if you're a wedding videographer or whatnot, uh, being able to upsell that you can produce it in 4K is actually a pretty big added value to that kind of customer or even like a, a television ad for like a regional or local advertisement. But, you know, if we're talking to Pepsi or, or like the ads you guys make that uh, are, are definitely a, your national brands and stuff, that's probably not something they're hiring you for. They don't really probably even concern themselves with what equipment you're using they just want the results right
1: you know chris
0: i wish that were true but they love to concern themselves with everything so i mean i will say uh, that i believe that most people at agencies and things don't really care about the cameras but we always tell them (laughs) <laughs> at least you know in our pre-production meetings we're like we're shooting on the Alexa we got these amazing lenses but you know we're just selling even if they're not amazing we're going to say they're amazing sure sure yeah there's a there's a very fine line of
1: informing them because sometimes you get someone who's really engaged and they really want to dig in and they have you know there's the question underneath the question and they're really saying like is this going to look good on social if we crop crop it 16:9 or 9:16 or th- like things like that so reading between the lines on that stuff i think is important but then oftentimes You will see that moment where their eyes glaze over and you're like, we're shooting Alexa. It's fine. And they're like, oh, good. Okay. great. Uh, Yeah. And they don't know
0: what Alexa means. Yeah. They just know that. You just say like Oscar movies (laughs) shot (laughs) on this camera. But they do care about deliverables. Right. Which is, I think, kind of the same thing you're saying, Chris. Like when you when the bride and groom are like, oh, we can get this in 4K or the company that you're doing a spot for is like, well, this look great on Instagram. You know that that does make a difference and like matt is saying 9 by 16 this weird format that now everyone wants like a vertical frame but they also want it to work in 16 by 9 the landscape frame you know having a higher resolution camera does help you do that
2: yeah absolutely well uh it reminds me of when i first got started and doing local advertisements for a a, a uh, NBC and cbs affiliate and uh we would bring along our big bodied camcorder because that impressed the client, mm-hmm. but the most of the time we were just using it for like audio. We were, we are <laughs> we were just tracking, you know, it was like, Oh, it has two XLR inputs. Uh, sure. <laughs> we're going to bring our, our DSLR or mirrorless along. Right. Uh, and that's going to look a lot better. And we're going to use that. And they're going to be like, aren't you, taking video and yeah we are but yeah, yeah, don't, but that they they go. really wanted just the wow of like oh we can mm-hmm. we take a picture for the instagram and, and we'll uh,
1: sure you put a matte box on it you try to make it look as legit as it looks body. all
2: cool and you don't use any of those tools it's just there for yeah. for the client but yeah. uh you know that's also the client that like you make sure to have a preview monitor for them because they want to you know be watching it the whole entire time right there along with you which is a nice fun problem to have.
0: Right. So I thought maybe we had kind of two topics we wanted to talk about in terms of the gear. One is what we look for in a camera, what's important to us and why. And then two, diving into the specifics of like what, you know, a DIY filmmaker, a a regional commercial videographer type filmmaker and an indie filmmaker might look for. And, And then even maybe prescribe a few really specific model names because the one thing... While I do obviously agree that story is more important than equipment and gear, it's something that I find is super helpful to me, and I consider myself probably on the little bit more technical side of film, is having a community that can support me with the gear I have. And so to me, industry standards are really important. The reason I switched to Final Cut Pro in 2005 was because I couldn't find the support I needed on for Premiere. And the reason I switched back from Final Cut Pro to Premiere, you know, uh, five years ago or whenever that was, was because I was finding that support. And so maybe, you know, we talk about this all the time, maybe a Samsung Note 7, whatever thing is, has a million more features than the iPhone. But the, every everyone's shooting films on the iPhone. There was a movie at Sundance shot on the iPhone. So it's a proven thing that you can share your tips and tricks with. So, so I think part of the industry standard thing that I find helpful is just getting gear that other people have used to do this thing that you want to do with it so that you're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Well, and I think the other problem or the other thing that we're trying to address really is that like,
1: I think I, I, I'm probably more technical than plenty of directors, but I'm less technical than Orin. And, Chris, I'm with you on the, like, story first, story first, story first. I think we all agree that, right? But also, there were filmmakers out there that are like, yeah, but I do have this bat mitzvah money, and I want to spend it on something. What do I spend it on? You know what I mean? Like, what is the smartest investment that I could possibly make with the funds that I have? Because, like...
0: Most of our listeners are Jewish 13-year-old girls.
1: <laughs> yeah, just... yeah. Um, but the point yeah, you know, or graduation money or they just have saved up or they, you know, the point is it's like that uh, advice only goes so far. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, you know, when I'm testing cameras, it's really funny that like especially on something that, that hasn't existed, a new feature. And we tend to get cameras early or even before they're released. And nothing is worse than needing to do something that no one is even put on the internet yet. So it's like, oh, Oh, I'm having a problem. I have to reach out to the engineer of the camera to answer my question. And, and a lot of times that, you know, a lot of the camera manufacturers are Japanese, so you might have some translation or whatever. You and time
1: of, difference too, right? It's gonna take two days for them to get back to you.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're not gonna just be able to quickly Google search it, which is is a nice fun problem to have sometimes, it's not really, but uh, but then a lot of times I'm testing features that are like no one asked for, uh, mm-hmm. or, or they're like so beyond that category, like uh, the Canon EOS 5, uh, R5 um you know it's got 8k raw but it overheats like crazy but I don't know if anybody that was buying a camera was really asking for that in that camera. Mm-hmm. Canon just went, let's put this on there because uh, it'll be a line item that people will be like, oh my goodness. And unfortunately, of course, for it, it's the reason why it overheats. Uh, if they didn't offer that crazy uh, offering it, it, wouldn't overheat. But, uh, you know, and, and then of course you go, oh, that'd be great for someone that's shooting, you know, little 30 second clips or something like that. But, uh, you know, if you have to keep doing the long roll, some cameras just not gonna work. And that's typically, you know, when we give advice, people go, oh, you get to touch all sorts of cameras. Uh, what's the best camera? And I go, for what? You know, what are you mm-hmm. using it for? Because, you know, a lot of the new technologies are going to help with some things like the autofocus on a camera might be fantastic. And for the longest time, we wouldn't recommend a camera with autofocus for video for the sake of, you know, you're the director, you should be choosing what's in focus. But there are certain situations where you don't get to choose or you don't have mm-hmm. the extra hands or, or what have you just. And so it's great to have those tools. But uh, up till really recently, the autofocus wasn't, good enough in any camera to be able to go, I'm gonna use this for video and expect to have good results, you know, uh, I think, well, we've all seen plenty of YouTube videos of uh, someone talking to a camera where it's on it's focused on the background or you know they put their hand up and all of a sudden it's they're they're blurry for the next two minutes till they figure it out. And so you know it's it's great to have those tools, but the the newest and and greatest is always to sell a camera. It's mm-hmm. not typically to uh, empower uh, filmmakers with a better tool. I mean, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's like, here are these new things, what are you gonna be able to do with it? And they're looking to, the world to see what they can do with it. Um, I, and I like it, that's somewhat exciting, you know, like here's a new feature, figure out how to get this into your film, or here's you know a new creative tool for you to have uh, and to see what kind of things they make with it. But it's kind of hard for them to like come out swinging for a home run when uh, you know they don't even know what game they're playing. So the equipment is, it's a fun thing to cover. It's always a hard push because a lot of times the stuff that people want to know about it's really just curiosity it's not like uh i need to know this for my next project um i mean sometimes it's like i mean if you're shooting on a gimbal and you don't have someone to pull focus from you from afar uh have an awesome autofocus is key you got to have that and so the better mm-hmm. it's going to be and the better you can um, have a easy setup or it goes in and out of different um types of uh, of shooting well, let's let's talk about
1: it actually because i think that there are a few key aspects to any camera that i think have become more important to us or less important or like, you know, we don't care about. Right. So like 8K is a good example of like, oh, you know, maybe that's important for people. Maybe that's not. But when I am looking to build out a job, there's a few things that are that are the question marks for me. Right. Autofocus, I think, is one of them, actually, depending on what we're trying to do and what our a camera is right but i think your point of like if some something's on a gimbal and you're trying to go fast autofocus is kind of important right whereas like i don't think or and correct me if i'm wrong does like a proper like cinema camera even have autofocus exactly the way we're talking about Um, Like facial tracking and stuff? I think
0: maybe some... I remember back in the day when I used like my HVX 200 and the DVX, they did have autofocus. It was really slow, but again, when I'm running around or doing docu-style stuff, it could be helpful sometimes and it could be really hurtful sometimes (laughs) um, depending on how you're framing your shot. But I don't think... You know, actually, I've used the Sony a7S on a gimbal... With sure, auto-focus. And I but think, I guess I mean I like well. the pro- professional cinema cameras. Maybe they have autofocus.
1: Maybe they don't. It's not a thing that you're thinking about quite as much. Whereas something that's small and lightweight, something you know that you would maybe throw on a gimbal and be your C camera or something like that. Chris, like you said, it's really probably quite important that you're running around and being able to like do some pretty advanced facial tracking with that.
2: Yeah, you know, this is um, th- that's one of the the categories. It's interesting that it's it's finding its way first in consumer prosumer they like mm-hmm. i don't think that's really a category anymore but you know your your sony alpha your your small bodied mirrorless cameras uh you know have great autofocus they're meant to they're meant to be these hybrid photography cameras so the autofocus is obviously really helpful for capturing a moment of you know something you don't have control over but when you have control over the set and all the rest you know leaving it to autofocus seems like a, a control that I'd rather have I'd rather control or actually a great place is drones uh, you mm-hmm. know when you're mounting on it's like just great to be able to have some focus tracking on a subject uh, And but they're even going further into having like you know eye tracking or left eye or right eye tracking mm-hmm. or animal eye tracking which is you know somewhat difficult uh, depending on what kind of animal you're shooting um, and those are things that were offered for photographers and they're coming over into the video world and then into the, the motion picture world.
0: I think you're exactly right. And I think we really need to separate our conversation to two very specific places, which is whether it's cinema or TV or movies or whatever, there's like, there's shots that I would deem as cinematic, which are trying to tell a story through the framing, through the motion, through the performances, through the lighting. And very, very rarely will an actor in the shot be looking at the lens and anything cinematic and narrative. And then there is the more docu-style, you know, vlogging, documentary, demoing, you know, even if you're doing like a webcam type movie narrative or something. I think the autofocus is usually, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, it's designed to focus on faces (laughs) that are looking towards the camera. It probably wouldn't do a great job uh, focusing on the back of someone's head if we're following them as they're about to go, you know, into the big basketball game or something from behind, it's probably going to try to focus past them. It, you know, so it's again, like the fact that you're not in control of the focus is probably how cinema lens, lens makers are thinking of it. Right. Why are the, why are those barrels so big on those lenses? It's so you have these big focus rings so you can have this real precise manual focus.
2: Right. Totally. And that's, you know, when I think about filmmaking, I think of, you know, uh, Someone told me this when I was in college. That I became a filmmaker because uh, you get to be God. You get to choose what you know the 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 audience is seeing and that kind of stuff. So why would I give up control being God to the camera? Why would it make a better choice than I would? And I think that's that goes a long ways. Although they're they're doing more than just eye tracking now. Of doing like you know uh, you can just tap on a on on something. So I've used it that way. Of like I tapped on the back of a head if that was the thing that I needed to follow in the focus. But if you needed to do then a rack over to. Uh, you know, something they came up to or another subject or whatever, it's clunky. You know, what am I going to do? Tap on the screen again? Like that's Mm -hmm. it. Uh, Doing a a manual focus is going to be far easier to achieve that shot than it would be trying to get the autofocus programmed to do it for you. Uh, You know, they are doing a lot smarter and there's a lot more uh, AI, which is interesting in the idea of autofocus of them trying to like extrapolate where you're moving or whatever but it's like but i know where they're moving i told them to go from this point to this right. point yeah right. why that's what blocking <laughs>
1: rehearsal was for exactly it's um, like
2: I, so i I, yeah. I think that that's the the thing but i i think your point to like docu film like when you're doing run and gun you're not in control of the event so like For us, we'd end up defaulting talking about wedding videographers, but documentaries and all the rest, the same kind of thing. I don't have control of the situation. I'm trying to get the focus on the subject and keep it there, and I'm not going to be able to control things around me, the framing or any of that stuff, just got to get it. Then it's like, wow, this is money. Uh, You know, I couldn't have pulled focus better unless, you know, you're, you're doing a subject where you're really observing them a lot. Uh, We did an interview with a guy that uh, filmed uh, monkey kingdom and he's talking about the, the, the monkeys that he got used to their personalities and they even named them enough so that they like, Oh, that guy moves a little bit faster, I'm not gonna rush my focus here as, as much. Uh, it's it's just interesting, you know, if you, as you're getting to know your subject, you're gonna be able to follow them better. Um, and the idea in some of these cameras, autofocus is actually that it learns better autofocus over time, which seems still like I'd rather Conkers. get better yeah. at myself at pulling focus mm-hmm. than training the camera how to do it. Uh, there's a certain amount of tangibility there that I I prefer and enjoy as part of the process. The physicality of shooting is uh, really enjoyable until you're tired, you know?
0: Right. What other things do you guys value in a camera or think is important it might be helpful to kind of narrow it down into narrative work versus docu-style work, which which I think will encompass like all of videography with.
2: Yeah, you know, it seems every, we're always getting more resolutions. We're typically getting, you know, uh, more bit depth uh, and we're uh, getting more frame, higher frame rates. You know, those are typically the things that a new camera is offering over the last one. Uh, and typically every camera will have those. So now the new rage is either allowing 10 bit or more out the HDMI of a, of a camera so that you can mm-hmm. externally record it. Uh, not talking about cinema cameras, uh, but you know, the idea of having uh you know, raw in a camera that isn't a cinema camera is just starting to happen. You know, black magic has been doing it for a while, but I don't know anybody that's going to dependably bring a black magic mm-hmm. on the set. You
1: know, Chris, it's funny. You bring up an interesting point when you said HDMI, you should, it was like, I had a flashback. I just shot a feature at the beginning of this year on a Blackmagic 6K, and the only port that it has is that HDMI out port, and it created so many problems for us because oftentimes you can look at a camera, and look. there are a lot of things to love about that camera, but oftentimes you can look at a camera and you can look at a spec sheet and you can be like, oh, this is everything I need to make a movie, right? it's it. the image looks awesome, battery life is great, I can afford it, all of this stuff, right? And the Blackmagic seems to have like that that market cornered, it feels like, or at least it's competitive, right? But certain things like durability or field testing, I think is where some of those cheaper cameras fall apart for me um, because they're not able to work with the ecosystem of a larger film set, right? So they're perfect if you're say shooting interview style footage or you're a one-man band Um, but as soon as I needed to get an image out of that camera and to a couple other different department heads um, literally I shorted like two cameras doing that basically because of like a weird quirk where if you power it a certain way basically it shorts out um, no disrespect to black magic, but those are the facts. That's what happened.
2: I'm not a big uh, black magic in the field sure, sure. Uh, fan. I'm happy to put them on a tripod and shoot them in a studio, but right, uh, as soon right. as uh, you know, I'm paying a lot more money for the people around me. Why would I go with a cheap camera that's not going to HDMI? Is is troubling in general uh, mm-hmm. when you need dependability? It's not uh the thing you're gonna get dependability on um we i was on a shoot with uh, what was it? it was a gh5 and oh we're gonna we're gonna record externally uh blah, blah 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 and it was just like someone had to then sync these clips because it was being recorded externally that were every five minutes being interrupted by a frame or so lost because connection of the hdmi is just not positive you know that's mm-hmm. why we have bnc that's you know that's why we have SDI, sure. sdi outputs on on those kinds of cameras And i think that's that's the big difference i'd say between what you what you're buying in your interchangeable lens mirrorless uh you know or your, your dslr is like you got no xlr inputs you got no way to do syncs, you're having a really hard time you know uh, putting all you by the time you put all the fairing on to make it as functional as you need, it's probably cost as much as just buying a camera with all those features. That tends to be the, the breaking point. I mean, like now that cinema, like, you know, uh, shooting 10 bit in a camera, just very typical, right? That's although, you know, eight bit was okay. 10 bits better, right? Yeah, uh,
0: we're talking about color just, yeah, 10 bit color.
2: So yeah, instead of millions yeah, of colors, you have billions of colors,
1: classic video game,
2: no super Mario brothers here. And that's great. But you know, the, the problems that come along with that change from from 8 bit to 10 bit for editing on a computer is very significantly more your computer is mm-hmm. going to have a harder time with 10 bit because it's mostly uh h265 or hvec uh, and because of that it's just clunky on a computer and you have a hard time editing it yet i can rec- i can edit 12-bit raw, no problem with my computer, and it's happy uh, in the Mm -hmm. same resolution. Uh, So there's just certain drawbacks that are with the consumer bundling of these higher end. things like, you guys probably talk a lot differently about this stuff than I do. I, I'm not in LA uh, and in the, you know, the benefit of getting to work in LA is that you get to be specialists and and you can find mm-hmm. gear to rent today, right now, uh, versus, you know, most people have to have it shipped to them if they're uh, somewhere else in, in the world.
1: Yeah, it, it is, uh, I think that's part of why maybe our areas of expertise have evolved the way they have, right? You know, because you can just go check out what's happening at camera prep and then like if you don't like something or if there's a problem we
2: just swap it i mean that's so cool as far as like as for when you're working in specialty work you can you can get so much further in the experience like yeah i I mean you're just you're just directing you get to work on directing stuff you know you get to work on being a director you don't have to worry about those other issues and and uh those those teams are much smaller everywhere else Mm -hmm. mostly because of the amount of talent available yeah
1: but you know that i mean the nice thing about this show about both of our shows right is that we have listeners all over the world right so like not everybody is going to be like oh i'll just i'll see you at the camera house so let, let's maybe actually i think orin like you were saying before if we kind of break out the different classifications of of the the buckets the types of people that we're thinking of right who were probably thinking about buying a camera right Like we talked a little bit about like what we care about. Like, can you monitor it? You know, light sensitivity, I think is something that we touched on a tiny bit. Like there's a lot of those kind of ballpark things that we need. But let's talk about if you have to buy a camera, right? And you're a DIY filmmaker or you're a small team, like a short filmmaker versus like a doc videographer versus like, hey, I'm going to make my first indie feature. Like those are kind of maybe the tiers. And let's just walk through them. Let's tar-
0: start with DIY Filmmaker. Can I actually just kind of, before yeah, we jump into structure that, structure a little more, yeah, for sure. Just want to ask you guys, if you're going to make a short film that you want to submit to Sundance, let's say, and you have a $2,500, no, let's say $5,000 budget. First question is, do you buy or rent a camera? Given that you don't have to spend all the money that the camera costs, <laughs> that, fi- that whole $5,000. So are you saying I can rent a camera? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying if let's say you're making a, a short, that's about that size, you know, like if like a, there's those five to $10,000 shorts that your dream is to get into Sundance, you know, it's like a narrative short of, of some sort. How do you decide if you buy or rent the camera?
2: I would say at that budget, there's only one choice renting. Uh, it, I guess it depends on how long you're renting it, but, uh, I mean, $5,000 is gonna hardly get you a body and a couple lenses and then you have no one to shoot and <laughs> you have no money for the project. Uh, That, that would be my answer. But I always recommend for anyone to rent gear anytime Mm -hmm. they can anyway, because unless you're a production house and you're going to put that camera to work all the time, uh, it's going to be, unless you're able to, to write it off as in part of a production or whatever, uh, it almost seems to be, um, just an expensive, um, venture to to buy something for a project. So if,
0: and if you were going to do maybe three projects a year, would you you probably still rent
2: yeah because i'd be happy that i could do i could get the gear that was right for the project each time versus mm-hmm. trying to to make the gear i got uh work for all those work things because yeah. i'd much rather have the right equipment than just than good equipment mm-hmm. just generally because it's gonna ha- you're gonna be paying for stuff that you don't need or use um i mean i almost always think if you can buy a piece of equipment used but it's really scary to buy used uh electronics um just because you don't know how someone treated it so it's actually best to buy stuff when it's when they're uh shipping it uh when you know the new model hits and they're trying to get rid of all the old uh inventory of the last model that's like new in box but like you know, deeply discounted, that's probably that's the, the best place spot. to buy yeah. at any time. Uh, but that's, you know, that's gonna be the, the cause the last model is, I haven't had too many projects where it's like, I have to have that newest thing or I can't do the project. And if, if that is cool, then you found the right project, you right, you know, you know the gear cause it's defined by the project. But otherwise it's like, how, how can I get here with the best equipment? uh, possible with the budget I have, you know, I think having creative restraints is a fantastic thing. You know, those, those are things that are hopefully going to make you make creative decisions, uh, hopefully based on story or the project rather than your hopes and dreams, you know? Right.
0: So I think it's just a good thing to point out. I think probably most of our listeners know this, but for those that don't, or for those that are less technical, you could probably rent an entire Alexa package with lenses or a Red package with lenses four times for the price of one DSLR package that you buy to own. So if, if you are not planning on shooting, you know, at least once a month, then renting is probably the way to go and you you'll probably get something that's much closer to what mainstream Hollywood and big budget productions are using than if you try to own the gear.
1: Yeah, it's a complicated question because I think you know, there's a we're trying to speak to a lot of different types of filmmakers out there. And I think, Chris, to your point, like there are filmmakers out there that are willing to make the investment and kind of get into the gear rental game you know, like that they're gonna make money off of that gear, whether they're shooting with it or they're renting it out to their friends. That's different than a person whose stock and trade is um, in say, like wedding videography, corporate videos, that sort of stuff, then owning makes a lot more sense. But if you're the type of person that's like, hey, I wanna make, you know, the next Star Wars, right? And your shorts are uh, a proof that you know how to make quote unquote cinematic, you know feature style uh stories then the value of wh- wh- how you're spending your money shifts a little bit the other thing that's that's interesting and that I'm, I'm so grateful that that we're talking with you now is that i think you know Warren and i talk about how great la is every episode um even when it's on fire but i think that the difference between markets where there's a ton of inventory and where and that smaller markets uh in terms of cameras really changes the way in which you can get a hold of gear and that's something that we are always reminded of but like you can get an alexa classic for free practically um because they're just like collecting dust on shelves and there's 12 in every single camera house they can't get rid of them do you know what i mean whereas you, your you know your point was like getting that sort of gear elsewhere can be a little more complicated you know like to answer Orrin's question i would be like yeah of course i would rent a camera it would cost me 200 bucks
2: yeah exactly well i mean there there are plenty of
1: mail order uh, lens companies and that kind of stuff which yeah some really great ones actually chris maybe you can share the names of a few
2: borrow lenses lens rentals Mm -hmm. uh
1: old fast glass i want to say is maybe one i get a lot of instagram ads from them
2: you know the thing is is cinema lenses are expensive right Mm -hmm. i mean uh, a cine uh, uh, just a basic prime a cheap one's gonna be you know the on the on the lowest end is a thousand bucks, which isn't you know crazy money or anything, but you know a, a, a zoom is twenty five grand, uh, you know, the uh, same quality type of thing. so really wide swath of things and you can rent those, you know, without the liability of having twenty five grand on set, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. For two hundred bucks for a week, or you know what, what have you, or, or for the for a day, or, or what have you. The I think the you're talking about the idea of uh, buying to be able to rent to your friends. That's totally an LA thing. I mean, I think imagine it's it's a big market <laughs> thing in general. But like, uh, you know, I have a friend that's a DP down there, and he totally has a, a an awesome set of lenses, but he owns no camera. And, uh, but it's because he's like, well, I, I rent the camera and I rent all my lenses to my friends when they need them. So they pay for themselves when I'm not using them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then I can just choose the camera that has the newest technology. And, you know, the whole, like you, you marry your lens and you, you date your camera body, uh, (laughs) is, is very much true. And that, like, you know, I can use my lenses across multiple bodies. Yeah, man, I've got lenses
0: all over town.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got lenses in different area codes,
2: but I, you know, I think that's, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing. I mean, that's being able to, one, have connection with someone that has something you're like, oh, I can actually touch and, and use this before I just buy it off a, of, a, of a website or rent it off a, a website or whatever it can be for some, you know, hard. But, you know, I just think of, especially if you're buying a camera, the idea of renting one for 10% of the cost of that camera and finding out that camera doesn't suit your needs is going to be so much more valuable than the ability, than, you know, getting it, you just, not renting it in the first place, or being able to find the right gear for you. And I think when you're buying, you typically, at least in my in, in, for for video maker audience, it's, you know, we're talking to someone that's buying it to use for a lot of things. You know, it might be a wedding videographer one day. He's doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your your bat mitzvahs uh, the next. He's doing a corporate video the next. Mm-hmm. Doing a local and lab. then a short on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. exactly. On the yeah. and you're doing all those different things, and all those things have drastically different needs, so that that camera can do it well in a lot of places rather than great in certain places it's gonna be far better for you than the idea of the you know i mean well i think high speed cameras they're rad but they don't have a use most of the time but they're mm-hmm. you know it's the right tool for the right job when you. well, need well it. let
1: me ask you though then chris because i think the i can imagine there's a listener in their car right now and they're like i don't live in la uh, an aria alexa isn't in my town so i can't get it for 200 bucks so that's not helpful for me matt and they are a person who's trying to make a living um and get like a ton of great use out of their camera and they do want to buy one do you have a favorite right now we're not going to hold you to it but like are there a few that maybe people should be looking at that you're right now kind of excited by and is this for the videographer like i think this is for the person chris just described where they're like yeah i'm a videographer but also i want to make Shorts and things on the side as well. Like they want to maybe be and some commercial work too. Yeah, some commercial work. They want. They're trying to level up, right? But they're still trying to. They're making their living, you know, by shooting in a variety of different circumstances.
0: Yeah, and feel free to give us two budget ranges, like the two to three thousand and the five to ten thousand.
2: A lot of limitations we end up talking about is cameras that have twenty-nine fifty-nine record limits. So that's your your DSLR mirrorless camera, and those are not usable for a lot of people. If you have, if you shoot events, it's not likely, it's only gonna go 30 minutes, right, so. And
1: sorry, just to, just to spell that out, you're saying because, say, someone just wants a great wide shot of uh, of a wedding, for instance, and it's an unmanned camera, they're just gonna hit record and then go run around and get other shots? Is that that sort
2: of circumstance? Yeah, the idea of like a wedding or an event where you have, to, the, the camera's gotta keep rolling, uh, is that you're, you're limited by um, that record limit and that's due to taxes in Europe, which is really kind of an interesting thing is that oh. the reason why they're limited is the definition of a video camera is a camera that shoots over 30 minutes. And so mm. because of that, uh, they get a different tax uh, ah. on the import tax on the on the camera. So uh, as of, uh, so first started, it was Panasonic. Panasonic said, we don't care about the tax. And, uh, and I believe Sony sued them because they were like, how can you get away with that? And then they got away with it. And so now Sony's doing the same thing. Uh, so all the new Sony cameras have no record limit, though they might overheat. In less time, they uh, are uh, they don't have that record limit. So you're talking about your cinema cameras. They should if it's meant for video, it's going to have no record limit. You're going to be limited by your you know battery or your media or something else as far as the length that you can record. So for me, I, it puts like um, Canon out of the running because all of their cameras have that limit. Though I'm a, typically a Canon shooter. If you're needing a longer record time, it's it's just a no go. Um, you know, I was for a long time, GH5, Panasonic GH5, GH5S, were really great uh, solid cameras. You can get an external grip that, so you can have XLR inputs on them, you can with, with uh, SDI, uh, BNC connectors, you mm-hmm. know, l- lots of the things you might need to be able to, you know, actually rig out a, a camera and, and have it used in a production world uh, outside of, you know, just the, I got a tripod and a camera. But the Panasonic S1H, now it's four grand for the body. Uh, But the cool thing about it that I like the most is it's like every feature that's helpful from other cameras, it has that and it does it all Mm -hmm. really solidly. So it doesn't overheat, it's got a flip out screen, it's not too tiny because tiny is not very helpful for shooting video. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. got sensor stabilization so you can go do some handheld work and uh, it won't be all over the place. It's got the five axis uh, image stabilization on the sensor, which is real nice. So you don't have to pull out the gimbal to get a smooth shot uh, though it is, you know, a smaller body. So you're going to have to tuck your elbows in if you're shooting. It's a camera I go to a lot now. I really like it. Uh, you can shoot 10 bit internal, you can shoot 12 bit external. Um, if you have an external recorder, uh, great all around, except for it's got the new L series lenses that there isn't a huge selection for. So you might need an adapter if you Mm -hmm. say shoot EF or, or, um, some other, um, lens mount can you
0: does the autofocus work if you use canon lenses on the panasonic camera
2: yes well a lot of times it's about the adapter so if the adapter uh luckily um you know panasonic isn't making these lenses it's you know uh sigma and and other brands are are bringing the the majority of those lenses so sigma has an amount uh, an adapter from like ef to l uh and it works pretty well you know the autofocus on that camera is you got to set it up right for the for what you're shooting, whereas like um, Sony cameras tend to do a little bit better. actually the the new canon, like the r five has got the absolute best autofocus I've ever seen. You could follow uh, an animal. Running away that you don't know where it's going and keep it in focus for a long time, which would be very difficult otherwise, but mm. most wouldn't set yeah. themselves up to have to shoot something that difficult that way. Good
0: idea for a show. Animal chases.
2: Can you keep it in focus? Uh, <laughs> that'll be the challenge. Uh, you know, I, I get the same thing with like, following a child around or whatever, but of course, don't work with children or animals. Uh, you'll be hosed.
0: Well, what do you think of like a. Uh- like a Canon C 100 or something like that. Is that kind of in that range?
2: Uh, yeah, C 100 uh, is, I don't even know if they're making it anymore. If you buy them, uh, they made them already a year ago or so. I, I imagine they're on their way out. Um, the C 200 is actually what I'm being shot on right now. And with the announcement of the C 300, which is a full frame, uh, their newest C, is it Mark II? Uh, it's full frame instead of Super 35, uh, but it's 11 grand. But the mm-hmm. C200 is actually on sale instead of being $7,500, it's around five now, which is a pretty big um, jump. I, between the C200 and the uh, EVA1, the Panasonic EVA1, those are, I think, really solid running gun cameras. Actually, both the FS5 and FS7, I prefer the FS5 mm-hmm. for its size for that. Use uh, Those are all real great cameras. Let's
1: talk about that actually for a second. You said run and gun camera, right? Which I think people say, you know, they'll ascribe that descriptor to a handful of cameras. Like I think those Sony FS7s and FS5s, C300s, that sort of stuff. But what you're really saying I think is, correct me if I'm wrong, it's two things. One, it's built in ND, right? So like you're not worried about you know, getting out like these delicate ND filters and putting them in a mat box and putting them in the front of the camera and like taking, stopping down to do that work. It's all internal, right? And then also you can pull off the barrel, right? You can focus yourself without needing an assistant quite so much. That's when I hear run and gun camera, Those are the two things I think of. Is that accurate,
2: Chris? Yeah, it's uh, light enough to carry yourself. It's definitely documentary work centric is is when you, when I say run and gun, I think of, if you're doing an interview, it's, uh, you know, beat on the street type of a thing. Um, uh, And more so just you have all the functions at your fingertips too, so, you know, who wants to be in menu that's like the black magic you're talking about if you want to change something you're you're tapping on a screen to change the the aperture the iso whatever you're you're, you're needing to change and you're going through menu to do that whereas you're running gun cameras your five to twelve thousand dollar cinema cameras you know all have external buttons so that you can have preset white balances and you can go between different nds it,
0: just this, to kind of let our listeners know that maybe are a little less technical and when you to say nds you're talking about these neutral density filters that let you block a lot of light out from sunglasses the for
2: your camera yes
0: so if you're going from indoors where it's super dark to outdoors all of a sudden you have way more light you can pop in these filters that will cut the light but keep everything else the same the same depth of field the same aperture and the same gain. I think if you and- wanted
2: to shoot shallow depth of field out in the full sun you just can't do it without Uh, an ND filter. You're not going to be able to do that. You're, you're just going to have too much light. So uh, because of that, an ND filter will make it so you can shoot, you know, your 1.2 out in full sun.
0: Right. And then the XLR jacks, from my experience, kind of uh, how I came up as a filmmaker with the DVX-100 and the HVX-200, those XLR jacks were so important because it's the easiest way to connect like a wireless lav and a boom mic to your camera. So even if with a one-man crew, you can kind of run audio, good quality audio that's synced with your video. And you when you hit record, it's recording the audio.
2: Totally. And you don't need, uh, you can use you know just about any microphone versus like the microphones that are made for uh, your, you know, with a quarter inch input from a DSLR or a mirrorless camera. Um, that are specifically made for that. So it's like, you got that one microphone that works for that camera, but it might not work in other applications. Whereas if you have an XLR input, that's pretty universal audio, um, uh, you know, microphone cable. So you're gonna be able to use any slew of microphones uh, meant or not meant for, for film, um, you know, what, whatever their purpose are, you'd be able to use them. So you're gonna have more universal ability to use other microphones and whatnot. Now the, the sync is a not necessarily a big issue as much anymore. So the idea of having your audio synced with the, with the camera, like I was talking about earlier with the bringing on set, uh, uh, you know, big old um, camcorder to just to record audio you know, you, that external audio is going to be, you need to be synced with the video. That used to be something you just had to go in and do, and it was tedious, but now it's like you highlight everything, you right click on it and premiere and say sync audio and sure. it just does
0: it. But that requires a scratch track on your video, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're filming someone across the street walking and having a little conversation with someone while cars are driving by that, that's not going to work, right?
2: Well, that's when you're, when you you know, your clapper or other things like that are going to be helpful. Uh, just to have something to sync to. But yeah.
0: Well, maybe um, because I think most of our listeners uh, are definitely more in like the narrative space. Maybe let's talk about the someone that's making a short film with a small team, like a five to 10 person team. What are the cameras that you guys would go? Again, kind of in that lower budget range. And Chris, if there's any other pieces of gear, right? Because
1: Video Maker covers a lot of different types of gear. Right. Not just cameras, but like if there's other things where you're like, oh, you know, this is a thing that I would point out to a to a burgeoning filmmaker looking to make a short. There are other the, other pieces worth bringing up. That's great to know
2: as well. Totally. Well, I mean, I, I think to that point, uh, honestly, most modern cameras are going to look awesome if you supply them with good light. Uh, so, you know, for every minute you spend on, uh, on lighting and making sure everything looks great, uh, the less you're gonna have to do in post and the more likely it's just going to turn out good versus trying to make something good after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, always good lighting, uh, you know, high TLCI and CRI ratings for good skin replication, I guess. It's
1: my favorite RMB group from the 90s.
2: TLCI. (laughs)
1: Tell us what TLCI means.
2: That I don't really know what the acronym means, but they're both measurements of the quality of light um, and you want them to be, tend to be in the 90s or above 95. Uh, And what it means is it's gonna, I don't know if you guys have had that experience of using a light. And uh, you come back, and everybody the the scene looked right, but everybody's skin looks dumpy. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's that our you know our skin is a very hard thing to replicate. You know we have uh, uh, quite a gradation in our skin uh, versus you know a solid color. Um, so trying to get lights that have the highest quality of light, uh, the quality of light is gonna be a bigger input than like the volume. Of course, if you need volume of light, it's gonna be expensive to make a high volume of good light. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the nicer your lights, the better the image you're shooting is gonna be in general, but more so just the lighting in general. Uh, you could get a bunch of nice lights, don't worry about that. How about if you use them properly? So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, on video maker, we have, we, I do a lot of the reviews, uh, for cameras and, and whatnot, but then we also do a lot of technique. Uh, we cover a lot of, of, of you know, three point lighting and, and all those like rudimentary things that like, hopefully after you start working a lot, uh, it comes, you know, it kind of comes natural. They're the rules you learn so you can learn to break them. Um, but that those, you know, just application of those rudimentaries are always going to make, uh, your work better. Um, especially if you're, you're not as confident with the execution of, of your lighting or whatever is like, okay, going down to basics is actually really helpful to do that.
0: So if you can buy one light to own, to make your short film, which light would
2: you buy? I don't know if I'd buy lights, lights are expensive, uh, for what they are. It's always hard to justify a budget for a light when, you know, like I have a, a, some lights in here that one light was $2,500. And if I got to choose between that one light and another camera, it, it'd be a really hard thing to choose a light. But if you're like, I got a lighting budget, then it's more, it's still the same thing as as cameras, what's going to fit your need. Uh, they have a thing called RGBWW, and that means it's uh, a red, green, and blue, and then two white diodes in, in each light. And what this will allow you to do is have the light be an effects light. So it could be uh, like a fire flickering, it could be a TV flickering, it could be a, uh, the light bar on a police um, you know vehicle or something like that so you don't actually have to bring in. An, and, and it could be those things, but special effects lights in general shouldn't be terribly expensive because you don't need them to be really great lights. So if you buy ones that have really great light in them and you're using them as a special effect, you're, you paid a lot more than you needed to for that light. Um, so usually it's, it's just like, is it uh, as bright as you need it to be? Are you able to modify it to be as soft as you need it to be? Um, you know, in our world, we're talking more about, you know, making sure it's dimmable, but in the world of LED lights, almost every LED light is now dimmable. Um, Mm -hmm. but the control of that dim. So like, Uh, I have a light that uh, when you have it on one, it's actually 50% of its brightness. I don't know who designed that, but it's stupid Uh, (laughs) because now I only have 50% control of the brightness of that light from zero to 100 versus zero to 100. Uh, So those are the things that make a big difference. Um, You know, I wish I was... um, super well-versed in the high-end lights, but we don't typically get a lot of the higher-end ones. We talk more about what you can do with with uh, more affordable I ones. Crazy I get to...
1: idea because I, I know people talk so much about LEDs and they're so exciting because they don't get hot, they don't pull a t- ton of power, they're super bright. But, you know, we've been talking about all these cameras that are so light-sensitive now. Um, and I remember when DSLRs were kind of new and exciting. You know, those first couple seasons of high-maintenance, it's just like a light bulb on a dimmer in a in a you know some sort of diffusion and like a china ball or something held close to the actors and i i wonder if that might still be the right answer for a lot of different types of lighting circumstances just like soft diffused dimmable light like you can't change the color temperature is what we're talking about chris right with those leds and it's like a little harder to shape but if you just kind of want Nice warm ambience on some beautiful skin tones. Swap a light bulb
2: and like build a dimmer, right? Is that crazy? Is that dumb? The only issue with the dimmer, at least on tungsten or uh, non LED lights is that actually changes the color temperature. So the amount of, uh, of power going to the light actually lowers the color temperature. So you can end up getting a, a tungsten light down to 2700 if you dim it. Like I have mm-hmm. some uh, rotary dimmers that that do that. Uh, so it's, it's how it's dimmed, uh, like fluorescent lights typically hard to dim because it takes a certain amount of energy to actually excite the the fluorescence inside it Um, LEDs has been you know the the fastest way we've been able to lower the price of quality light and give you more options the hard thing is is if you're doing you know an LED softbox that's neat but if I need a hard light that's not going to help me. I'm, it's completely out. Uh, we have some led, uh, um, here that I I really like, um, that are, uh, light panels, Sola six pluses, what they are, but they are fixed, uh, at 5,000 K. So my whole studio has to be 5,000, uh, to match those. Otherwise I get a bunch of color temperature mixing. That doesn't look great, but you know, do things need to be perfect? Nope. You know, it doesn't look good in the camera. Mm -hmm. It does cool. Print it. It's great. Go for it. I think that's you know the 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 rule of thumb. You can you could follow the rules and stuff, but if it looks good and sounds good, and you know it is good, uh, that's I think the best part of being a filmmaker is that we get to trick the audience into what we want them to see and mm-hmm. control what they're thinking about. And with that, uh, as long as it's not pulling the audience out of the um, scene or reminding them that they're watching something in the first place. Um, I think that you're you're probably fine. Uh- I think
0: Matt, your your idea of the China ball is good. <laughs> I mean I, to me, you know the China ball works pretty much night interior or night exterior, but because of because tungsten in general is indoor color balance, you know the more orange light. Uh, obviously it works on sets when you're building giant sets and you have 10 K's and 12 Ks and all that stuff. But in terms of like the DIY filmmaker, I think a China ball tungsten on a dimmer, yeah, the, the color you know changes a little bit when you dim it, but it tends to be nice. <laughs> yeah, well,
2: if it's the only light, then you're great. Yeah, who cares what the color right. temperature is? Right. Change your white um, balance and you're good to go. I, I think, or, or even if you pl- have
0: a few, a few of them. To me, the the difficulty is that it, I've we, during COVID, you know, we've done a lot of cleaning up of the basement and stuff, and getting rid of a lot of my old things, and I have like a bunch of light bulbs, and I have my 500 watt light bulb and my 250 watt light bulb and my 300 watt light bulb and those are very difficult to buy you can't like go to home depot and buy a 500 watt tungsten light bulb nowadays right which is what you used to do right, right.
1: you you used to just go to home depot and then you'd fill up your crate and you'd have all the different bulbs and it was like oh yeah now i'm a dp i'm good to go
2: well and and i think your point with the sensitivity i mean the the big thing uh for a lot of the the lower end camera you know the dslrs and the mirrorless is that as long as you have enough light to illuminate without having just crazy noise because of not enough you know light to illuminate your subject uh you know as long as your subject doesn't have noise on there on them you usually you can look past the noise that's in the darks or that you're not even looking there hopefully um but that's i mean that's a great place to start i mean we I have a, a video that's about just going to, to Home Depot and buying, uh, you know, your shop light, and then mm-hmm. using diffusion along with it to set up your scene. You don't need amazing things now. If you want to get, you you know, you might be able to get seventy five percent there, but that last twenty percent to get to. You know, the, the what you're on TV and all the rest, that's where the thousands and thousands of dollars get spent, um, is to get to that last little bit, which is where the, the really the big competition is, as far as you know, getting high end work. But I, I think, uh, you know, to most people that, that aren't uh, shooting a real high budget anything, if you got lights, good. You know, if you have enough lights to <laughs> to illuminate your your scene, that's you know, you're 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 probably a step above the guy that's trying to that's going to have to close the framing of the scene because they don't have enough lights to illuminate it.
0: I will say I have this aperture 120D here. That's a pretty good general light to have. Yeah, it's got Oren, soft box. you're a pretty
1: big evangelist of that 120D. Well, yeah, um, I mean, Ted, I would... if you're listening.
0: I'd love to try one out. (laughs) On a set, you know, I don't know how valuable it is, but for the DIY filmmaker, you know, especially if you're shooting daylight interiors. First of all, if you're shooting daylight exteriors, you don't typically need lights. And, you know, um, I'm talking about like low, low budget stuff, you know, use bounce boards, use diffusion, use grip stuff, which... Probably for a few hundred dollars, you can get some pretty decent little pieces of, of grip stuff. Um, but if you're shooting daytime interiors, which is one way that you can get really beautiful wide shots uh, without having a big lighting budget is just kind of blocking your scenes around windows, around doors, around your architecture. But you need to fill in a face. You need to highlight something, having a light like this Aperture 120D to kind of highlight the person or create a shadow or something it's it's nice also if you're doing nighttime interiors like in a horror movie or you're trying to find something a little stylized a little more
1: directional a little more sculptable Yeah. yeah
0: if you're kind of lighting more for the dark than for the light you know i think Uh, it's useful you can you can change the color temperature you know with gels and whatnot
2: when you're buying led lights there's a lot of countries of origin when it comes to the leds and the big difference really is quality control of what makes it to the uh you know, what actually makes it to the lamp. So, you know, your Chinese lights are are far less quality control, but you can get them on Amazon for like nothing. I mean, you can get a, a dimmable color changing, you know, RGB WW light that, uh, for a hundred bucks, uh, you know, the quality of the light's going to be low, but you'll have light, uh, and you'll have it for a lot of different purposes. I think that I really like the, the, being able to be bicolor um, it helps you know in situations where yeah you're shooting next to that window um, i need some daylight to to shine on their face to get the other side or whatever it is uh, so you don't have like an orange side and a blue side of the face those can be really helpful, although it's really hard to compete with the sun. I think to your point of the the daylight interiors, the big key to all that is just making sure to shoot at the right time of day for that light source. So, you know, if your window is awesome at one o'clock for that scene, shoot it at one because you're going to be frustrated every other time because the lights,
1: you know, always changing. right? Yeah. I mean, that's genuinely
0: the best bit of advice for, <laughs> yeah. for lighting in general. <laughs> the sun moves. Well, I know we have to wrap up soon, but I guess my so my last question is my first question was which I was hoping Chris you'd help me find the answer to, but I don't think you have, which was should I get a Sony A7S III just for my own personal small projects, uh, and you you haven't mentioned it once, so I will assume it's a no.
2: Well, I haven't I haven't used it yet, uh, so what? You, Sony uh, so Canon announced the R5, mm-hmm. and Sony came just on its tails with the A7S III. And this is just my um, my thought that uh, what is going on, but that all of a sudden um, the, when the camera's coming to me got slowed down, they sent out some and they got some, hey, this is overheating. They went, whoa, whoa, let's hold off on getting the press this until we can mm,
1: interesting. before you can give it a bad review. Well, here's a follow-up question then, Chris, because I think what Oren is really looking for is a camera because I'm kind of in the same boat where I would love to buy a camera to take... You know pictures of events and my family and you know just a great camera to have that also when i'm on a job i can throw on a gimbal for one shot and it's not a big deal or maybe it's a c cam and maybe i shoot some you know a home pitch video i've got a kickstarter video i want to put up or whatever like like kind of just a nice all-around camera but that it's not necessarily going
0: to be the hero camera of my shoots.
1: Is that accurate? Oren? Is that what you're thinking about?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I have like two needs for cameras. One is it for my family and stuff. My iPhone is fine, but I think for there's the thing on set, which almost always is going to be an Alexa mini because that's the DP I work with owns one. And it's a great baseline. Um, And then I want the camera that I can do my own experimental stuff when I'm pitching things, I can make a short film. I can, you know, maybe basically I want to shoot beautiful stuff that I can put on Vimeo that people are like, wow, that's amazing. That looks great. Or this is a great story or this is feels very cinematic, but something that I can own so I can do it whenever I want and be opportunistic about it. And I have a Canon 5D Mark II, but it, I just, I feel like I'm oftentimes getting better results for my iPhone. So.
2: Yeah. Well, the Mark two for sure. That's, um, that, man, that, that camera's like, old. yeah, 10 years old or something like that. Um, so the a 7s three, a A7s in general, the line in the, the sensor, the reason why it can be so sensitive is because it's got a small pixel count. So it's not going to be the best photography camera because you have 12 or, Something mega, megapixels. It's not terribly high resolution, so compared to other photography cameras. So for that reason, it's, it tends to not be the choice for that. Uh, if you're wanting to be a hybrid shooter, uh, but it's very much in the way of uh, video world. It's you know it's pretty much the no noise camera. So it doesn't really matter what ISO you shoot at. No noise. Uh, it's that sensitive. Uh, so you can shoot you know under a single candle uh, outdoors. You know under uh, no moon and, and be able to get your exposure without noise. That's great, but. But not everybody needs that, and so mm-hmm. if you don't need that low light monster, uh, and I think that most people tend to light something, or at least plan lighting, that you won't probably be under one candle uh, trying to shoot. Um, that's not typical setup to do. At least I think it. I mean, I guess if you if you could, you'd probably do it um so and and then the i haven't actually shot it so i don't really know but i know the a7s2 uh, was a sluggish slow camera and was really frustrating to use for photos for anything other than just trying to shoot the same thing really low light video uh, i mean it did find everywhere else and it's got a uh, good dynamic range not like crazy better than anything else so you know you're, you're likely going to get similar dynamic range from other cameras in the same category i think the big thing now is it's 10-bit internal and those are all great
1: chris that sounds like a resounding no to me i haven't shot what, it yet what what should Oren get though like based off of his criteria what what do you think he should get
2: i really like the the panasonic lumix s1 uh it's just as low light uh it's cheaper what about
0: the
2: s5 uh s5 i have one here it's you know it doesn't have that many uh as much uh, video features i don't believe it shoots 10-bit um i don't think that there's any log in it um, I, I think I'm, I might be completely wrong here. I, I actually haven't boned up on it, but it's sitting behind me. The S5, I think it's that's more of like the, you know, Sony just released the, uh, it's the smaller bodied full frame camera. And it, they're going they're going all in. Everybody's going all in on fr- full frame. And I'm just not really sure for video that you need a big sensor at all. Um, the mm-hmm. Panasonic GH5, GH4, GH5S, that whole line, uh, is like, you know, lenses are way cheap for high quality. You can get a, a lens that matches, uh, you know, L series glass on a, on a Canon, which is their high end photo glass uh, for half the price, you know, instead of $2,500 for the lens, you're paying a thousand. And there's a lot of choices for micro four thirds, but it's a crummy photo camera cause you get, you have a small sensor, uh, but it, none of that really makes too much difference if you plan for the crop. For video, um, and, you know, if you're, it's got a two times crop factor. So if you put a 25 millimeter on it, it's an effective focal length focal length of 50 millimeter. Uh, so it'd be like using a 50 prime on on a, on a full frame cla- camera. Um, And so if you just buy your lenses, knowing that I want a 50 prime, I'm gonna have to buy a 25 prime for micro four thirds. It's gonna be the same experience. And quite frankly, the dynamic range is fantastic. It has GH5S has dual native ISO, so it's very uh, much in line. Uh, It's got um, shutter angle, uh, you know, a lot of those those cinema features Mm -hmm. that end up in cinema cameras, but in a small little camera that is, I mean, crap, I think they're probably $1,500 now. Um, now that everybody's gone, big sensor. And the thing is, is making a big sensor is expensive. Um, you know, the bigger the sensor, the the less waste they have to have when making the the sensors. And so uh, a small sensor, they can just produce for so much cheaper. Well,
1: Oren, yeah. looks like uh, you've got your answer, buddy. Yeah.
2: The GH5S, I, I love it. It's got a beautiful image. Uh, I'd have to say it might be my favorite image from all the cameras we have here. Um uh I just don't have lenses for every need for it.
1: Awesome. Well, Chris, we could talk to you for days and days. Uh this was such a treat, man. Do you have a minute to uh hang out and uh do unpaid endorsements with us? Sure. Let's do it. Unpaid endorsements. Uh mine's nice and straightforward. Uh it's the Apple Plus program, Ted Lasso. Are you guys watching that show? No, is it good? Yeah, it's it's great, I would even say, I dare say. And uh, I think every review is like, oh, this show's good? Like, what? how did that happen? Well, the, tra- yeah, the marketing is not good. It, it, the marketing is not great. Look, here's the thing. It's basically, it's just Jason Sudeikis being indomitable optimist. And so in a, an era where things are pretty rough, it's really nice to watch a show that's like about a character who's really uplifting, you know? And so, uh, and look, the the supporting cast is really great. Uh, the jokes are all super sharp. It's got a lot of things going for it, but I think the bottom line is like, if you've got that hole in your heart where, you know, Parks and Rec or The Good Place Used to Live, where it was just kind of like feel good TV, that was smart and quippy. Ted Lasso, I think is gonna fill that gap for, you know, a couple weeks at least. So that's my recommendation. Ted Lasso, Apple plus.
2: So, uh, we on a podcast, uh, was probably 10 or more ago. We interviewed the directors of crip camp documentary on Netflix. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, man, it, uh, it had me crying when I was watching it, talking to them, had me tearing up. Uh, it's just a, a amazing, um, I think American story that can only happen here. A fight for, um, equality representation, all of the things that, uh, we both uh, are great and horrible at in the United States. Uh, but it, that it was just a, a incredible uplifting documentary that actually finding out a little bit more about the creation of it and the story of, of how they got all of their source material for the documentary, uh, and just the happenstance that, it, that they still had long story short films about, a, a bunch of handicapped ki- uh, kids that went to a camp and, uh, ended up being, uh, f- fighters for equal rights for for, uh, handicapped folk in in the United States. And that they were at a camp in the 70s where a crew showed up uh, and uh, randomly that someone ran into them at a gas station and they're like, oh, that sounds interesting. And uh, they got to the front of the camp and no one was there. So they decided to drop acid to wait. Uh, So (laughs) the, the crew is just tripping at the entrance. Finally, someone comes in and their whole goal was they had a bunch of video equipment at the time, which was really, really new. And they wanted to blow people's minds with the idea of what video was. And so they went in there and they filmed interviews of these kids. But the big idea was that they put a TV up with a camera and that you could see yourself on TV right now. And that that was really mind-blowing Uh, But anyhow, long story short, that this was just a random group of people that were lightly funded to do something like this and that they filmed all this stuff. And randomly, they found the guy. He had moved 30 times since they filmed it in the 70s and had brought all the footage with him, uh, had all of it. And like, it was like the core of this film. And it was just so amazing. That's like, man, like one, the story is just a really just an amazing story. But to find out that like, The all of the things that they had as they started to research, like oh, we have a a footage of someone filming the uh, you know the the newscaster doing that interview, and then they also have that interview, and they can intercut the two. But they didn't even know they had either one of them when they started making the project, and like it just blows my mind that that stuff still exists, that people keep on to stuff, and that they can be found. Uh, And I'm so glad. But it was it was just one of those things where uh, I, I was uplifted when I watched it, it was definitely mid quarantine. So like it was a great story at the time for me. The creators would just have a, a great story and we're just great people and just trying to do um good for uh good for good's sake and i think that's uh just a great story to have right now you know i, have, I don't really want to watch documentaries a lot because usually it is a, a, a bad story but it was like i feel like i'm a better person for watching this and i didn't feel <laughs> uh sad i felt very passionately happy uh from it so uh, i recommend it recommend it very very awesome. deeply
0: um, and we'll uh link to the your episode as well so that people can get a little backstory i'm gonna end endorse a video a youtube video that it's kind of related to what we've been talking about i saw it a week ago i think it might have made made the rounds through some of these like movie meme youtube channels and things But in case you haven't seen it it's called how to shoot a film at three different budget levels it's from someone a youtube channel called in-depth cine and it's just an analysis of three movies the person that made this video had shot a a black and white feature film with like a DSLR for no money, but it actually looks pretty decent. It's like framed nicely and looks like there's nice performances. And then he compared that to this mid-budget movie, which is called Blue Jay, I believe. And it's with uh, Sarah Paulson and Mark Duplass. That came out
1: maybe two years ago. Yeah, 2016.
0: And then The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And that's obviously a big budget studio film. They're all three are black and white movies that m- mainly focus on two people. And he just analyzed what how looking at a frame from The Lighthouse feels different from looking at a frame at his uh, no budget movie, even though everyone had talent and you have this kind of really talented director and cast, just what a giant budget film looks like the, the nuances of the differences between a giant budget film. For instance, you could get this insane angle for one shot using a you know 100-foot techno crane of somebody cleaning a lighthouse, which just on a medium-budget film, you would never even waste your time doing that because you're fi- fighting the schedule. So You should uh, tape a GoPro to a broomstick handle in that case. Oh, yeah, you could. Or I guess a drone could work. Yeah, you could do that too. Yeah. But yeah, but just about how budget... Really, he he kind of just narrowed it down to budget equals how much control you have over the frame uh versus how much how opportunistic you have to be. And it's a pretty nice analysis. It's like a nine minute video, how to shoot a film at three different budget levels on YouTube, which is Y O U T U B E dot com. If you've never heard of it.
2: What is that YouTube thing? <laughs>
1: yeah. It might catch on eventually. Uh, well, Chris, this was so great. Um, where can listeners learn more uh, about you and Videomaker?
2: So we're Videomaker everywhere. So no matter what social media you're on, look up Videomaker. It's us. We got a blue logo. If you want to listen to our podcast, we publish every Monday morning at five in the morning because that's the timing you want to be awake downloading a podcast. <laughs> and then if you'd like to watch the vidcast of this on YouTube, so uh, and also on Videomaker.com. So Videomaker.com, we have. Uh, we've been around since 86, so we got so much content in there um, over the years. Obviously, um, not all of it, but that uh, just about any kind of um, video production technique, um, history, gear reviews. We have lots of buyer's guides uh, that are uh, we work really hard to make sure that they're always really great. And uh, so hopefully anytime you engage in our content, it should be um, Satisfactory to you Not only that uh, We did what we we're going to tell you So no clickbait uh, But also that uh, You know It was an enjoyable read
1: Well if you want to learn about uh, The things that we talked about Here on the show You can go to JustShootItPod.com Or JustShootItPodcast.com We bought both domains No need to brag um, <laughs> You
0: can check us out Across all social media At JustShootItPod And I'm at Mr. Matt Emel. And I'm at o. Kaplan on Instagram I'm at SmiteyPileg on Twitter Though there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, so I feel like my mildly interesting film-related posts have kind of taken a little break. But I'm I'm coming I'm coming back, guys, next week. But uh, yeah, this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda, our webmaster is Ewan Williams, our social media master is Derek Ayalo, and the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And give us a call, leave us a voicemail one two six two shoot one. And we will talk to you next time.
1: Thanks, everyone. Bye.